everybody and welcome. So it's 3 p.m. East Coast time and I just want to go ahead and get started here. I am going to remember to press the record button, which is already pressed, so I'm not going to touch it. So we're we're recording. Um, for those of you who couldn't make it, um, hope you're enjoying listening to this later. For those of you who are here with us now, thank you so much for joining us. We do have a lot of stuff to cover. Um, there has been a lot of activity in Washington since um, last we talked, which was again, Pretty close to our committee meetings and again it was so great to see you all and both virtually and in person at in washington near our house near our homes um and we look forward to um hopefully having a a fulsome event next year when we can wave bye bye to the pandemic hopefully crossing our fingers but for now here we are. Um, it's been a busy last couple of weeks. Um, there has been some advancement in information that has occurred in the areas of ARPA and in infrastructure, in particular, the parts of the bipartisan infrastructure law that deal with transportation and with water through the EPA. And so we want to talk for just a little bit about each one of those um, advancements that have happened. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started on uh, talking about one of our most favorite acronyms of our of our year ARPA so um I, I last time we met um it was the Friday before January 31st and January 31st 2022 probably strikes fear in the heart of many of you that was the first project and expenditure report due to the United States Treasury. The project and expenditure report is one of the several reports that are due to the United States Treasury um, on ARPA from uh, direct recipients. Now, there was an interim report that was due way back in August. And of course, there are other reports that are due um, telling the stories of the jurisdictions. Project and expenditure reports, as the, that are the reason it's different from those other two is because it, it's almost, it's called what it says. It is a project and expenditure report. The expectation on the January 31st report was that larger local governments, that is prime recipients like States, but larger local governments who have over 250,000 in population and received more than $30 million from ARPA had to report by project how they were spending ARPA proceeds. <coughs> and while that was, excuse me, while that was, um, I think, um, uh, uh, hard enough to sort of think about in and of itself, um, Treasury provided a lot of resources to prepare. They gave us a compliance and reporting guidance that allowed for us to have a better understanding of expenditure categories, what do projects look like? How do I input that data in a portal? And then once I input that information in a portal, how do I make sure that I'm not making any errors so that I can submit it on time? Nobody wanted to be late. So we're trying to, you know, as we're massaging this, as we're working up towards the date of January 31st, you know, we thought we kind of had a grasp on what it was going to look like, but indeed we didn't. Um, the portal of the United States Treasury is an electronic platform. In some cases, it requires hand keying of information, which in and of itself, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge, of course, with controls of information that you're submitting to the Treasury. But what I did want to talk with you a little bit about was some of the challenges that GFOA members were reporting back about submitting their information in the portal. And there's there are a few key themes. And the reason I'm, I'm transmitting this back to you here right now is just so that you know we're starting to 
aggregate this information, organize this information so that we can submit this information to Treasury so that when the next report is due, which will be on April 30th of 2022, hopefully they'll be able to iron out some of this stuff. They'll be able to make the portal a little bit more user friendly for the smaller local governments and for the next quarter for the larger local governments. So there were a couple of challenges that were that were repeated um, constantly that were observed by multiple different um, jurisdictions that had input information in, in the January 31st report. The first was a problem in, in, in naming, in vocabulary. So um, when you go into the portal and you enter projects, for any transaction that a prime recipient has between a contractor or a vendor, or you know, in other words, you could call it a payee, unfortunately, the Treasury asked for that information in a column that was called subrecipients. So instead of calling the payees of whether it was purchase orders or contracts or loans or grants, they ended up using the word subrecipients. And that caused a lot of GFOA members pause. Because when we talk about subrecipients, of course, what we're talking about has a very specific single audit definition. A subrecipient is a recipient that is that is assigned by the prime recipient to carry out the letter of the law. They are they are they are specifically designated to ensure that they're spending within the design of the law. That is the law and the rules. So subrecipient monitoring might be that you are monitoring that subrecipient is spending in accordance with the law. Um, now, if instead you just have a purchase order and you made a purchase order and it was an easy peasy transaction and that's all that happened, then that, you know, that vendor is not necessarily a subrecipient. So we started talking about Treasury really quickly on January 30th. We said, look, this is giving a lot of jurisdictions pause. If it's not a subrecipient, why are we calling it a subrecipient? And we went back and forth and back and forth and Treasury thankfully was able to bring up a little bit of clarity on the portal for that particular definition. But nevertheless, they stuck to their guns. Subrecipient remains an input in the portal. And what we'll be doing is talking with Treasury more about how we might be able to change that word so that when NEUs and the sheer volume of people that come to file on April 30th will feel more comfortable filing that information of the payee's information. Another thing I wanted to make sure to note is that for each one of those payees, what a lot of GFOA members were recommending was to go ahead when you're when you're starting a relationship or when you're when you're contracting a relationship or when you're you know you're writing a purchase order, for example, go ahead and talk with that vendor about registering on SAM.gov because having SAM information makes inputting information into the portal a lot easier. So we'll be talking with GFOA boy members about that before the April 30th deadline. Second, there was a challenge with inputting information in the portal and knowing and, and finding that you had errors, so you couldn't submit in the portal, but not knowing where those errors were. Treasury was not very specific in the portal about if there was maybe pennies that were out of place and maybe there was challenges with like 
finding a project that didn't sum to its total that was given on a previous page. There was a lot of challenges, I think, sort of mapping between one page and another to find and um, to ameliorate those little tiny nits that often come up when you're hand keying information into a portal. And so a lot of GFOA members were saying, you know, it really would be helpful if, you know, I, I transposed my digits incorrectly and I needed to go back in and change it. It would be really nice if Treasury identified where that challenge was as opposed to saying no the entire project is out of alignment and therefore you cannot submit it got to be a little bit uh i think um, of, of uh exhaustive exercise for a lot of recipients that were trying desperately to meet that january 31st deadline the fourth thing that was a bit of a challenge for gfoa members <coughs> was that the information as you're going through the portal if you haven't been through it before you kind of didn't know what was coming up on the next page there was no previous page or next page preparation that became a little bit of a challenge and i think it's an element of surprise that not a lot of people wanted to deal with on january 31st when they were trying to get their report in um our suggested edit to Treasury might be that, hey, can we have a list of input information, maybe even a template of information that is the substantial amount of questions or all of the questions that a government is going to need to answer for each project so that you can have a template of preparation before you walk into the portal and you don't know what's coming up on the next screen. So I think that we're going to try to either create a project ourselves that would allow for um, any use and jurisdictions that are filing for the first time on April 30th to know the questions that are going to be asked to pre-fill a template so that none of the pages are a surprise, especially, especially as we get closer to April 30th. Um, fifth, there was still some registration challenges for cities, counties, and independent cities in the portal. For example, my city county, our city county um, consolidated governments, like cities like um, Philadelphia, Louisville, Denver, um, even San Francisco. In some cases, the United States Treasury is still having a little bit of a challenge consolidating the, the amount of ARPA awards into one category. Same as the case for independent cities in Virginia. So I'm sure there are some Virginia folks on the line. So there are still some challenges in making sure Treasury understands the unique incorporated um, types of city counties, types of consolidated city counties out there, and why the portal needs to accommodate those unique structures. Right now, we're running into it with um, NEUs as they're starting to register with the United States Treasury, getting ready for their um, April 30th timeframe that they're asking Treasury or Treasury is asking them to certify their incorporation to say what type of city or county are you and um, making sure that your um, legal entity is accurate inside of the portal. It's especially important if you have gotten a email from Treasury that you go ahead and make sure that your your legal entity is what it is um, inside of the portal and if it doesn't necessarily need to be corrected before April 30th of 2022. Last but not least, uh, one of the more popular elements, of course, was technology error errors. 
times when um, maybe pages that you were working on timed out. Oftentimes, some of our um, our members saw what are called blob error messages, and and that could be an element of trying to submit information on a portal on a um, an a, a, uh, um, a, an internet provider that doesn't necessarily support the portal. So we're going to ask Treasury to make sure that they articulate preferred internet providers or internet platforms that would support putting information into the portal. So I did just want to make sure that you all have this information. This was stuff that kind of came in in a flurry. Uh, Mike and Mike and I were trying to answer as many questions as we could as they were coming in, um, but nevertheless, those are the some of the, the the larger challenges that we came across. Now, one other thing before I turn it over to Mike, I did want to talk more about um, procurement. Procurement continues to be a major question. Um, there is a lot of interest in um, both finance officers, procurement officers and elected officials about procurement. Is the Treasury going to offer any type of waiver to uniform guidance? And we're here to tell you that Treasury has not issued any uniform guidance waivers for any expenditure in any category under ARPA. And again, what we're continuing to make sure to encourage GFA members to do is to have uniform guidance learning sessions inside of your, your jurisdiction, maybe get your procurement officer, your finance officer, your elected official to do a brown bag lunch and to talk about what is uniform guidance and why if you're deciding to spend on government services, that is government services to the extent that your government lost revenue due to COVID-19, still has those federal procurement guidelines wrapped around them. You still need to, to make sure that you're in compliance and, and, and ensure that you are not necessarily um, eligible for the key waiver threshold, which includes sole source and or micro purchases. Now on the next slide, again, more information on procurement. We continue to um, hear about small governments that are receiving, you know, somewhere around the threshold of that $750,000. $750,000 spending in a single year makes non-federal entities subject to single audit. And there are a lot of jurisdictions that are looking at that April 30th report and they're saying to themselves, either I've spent none of it or I'm on the cusp of spending nearly $750,000. Our recommendation, of course, to GFOA members who are in at or near that threshold is to, I don't know, what do you say it? Vote early, vote often, call your auditor early, call your auditor often, um, because that is um, understanding, first of all, your um, eligibility of falling under single audit, but second of all, knowing what goes on your CFA and monitoring CFA activity has to be a priority for your organization. So we continue to kind of bang that drum for the small jurisdictions looking to file on April 30th. And we would appreciate again for your networks, if you could also bang that drum and make sure to get that, that um, information out there to the smaller jurisdictions. Last but not least, the subrecipient monitoring. <laughs> Remember, as I mentioned, 
that $50,000 threshold is a incredibly important $50,000 threshold. It's like the 800 pound gorilla, but it's the $50,000 threshold. Treasury wants a lot of information about any vendors, any partnerships, any contracts, any sub recipients receiving sub awards greater than or equal to $50,000. Again, lots of um, procurement officers have committed to actually saying, you know what, we're going to ask for SAM.gov registration early so that we don't have to worry about collecting information on the back end. Significant amount of information that Treasury is going to want um, from those vendors that you're working with. This is a big thing that's kind of coming up, I think, it, coming up to reality as people are looking at April as their first filing deadline. Oh shoot, we've already done several $50,000 contracts. Well, what kind of information am I going to have to start to gather? That I think is, is helpful and useful information to smaller jurisdictions as they're preparing for April 30th. Um, but again, another thing that's, that's worth repeating to your networks to make sure that they understand their internal, uh, both their internal controls and how they might be able to prepare better for April um, 30th. And so with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Mike Bellarmino to talk about infrastructure. Thank you, Emily, and hello, everyone. Good to see you all again. Um, so, as you know, and, and we kind of covered this a little bit during the winter meeting, we have the IIJA, the in Investment in Infrastructure and Jobs Act, or the BIL, um, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. Uh, one of the things that we just want to reiterate, and I, I recall that we covered this a little bit a few months ago in one of our week in Washington's. Well, thank you, sir. Um, as we kept hearing about all the different frameworks that were coming out, just want to make sure you're, you're going to see it referenced in different ways, um, both by IIJA or BIL. Uh, so just make sure it's the same thing. We want to, we just want to reiterate that as you look through the materials. And one of the things that we wanted to start doing, especially as we got out of the holidays and into the new year, we recognized, of course, that the agencies were going to start um, doing whatever they needed to do to start rolling some of that funding out. Now, it's going to be different, of course, with uh, funding that actually is going to go through programs that are already in existence. So, of course, the foundation is already there, and that's going to come out a little bit more you know, quickly uh, versus funding that is going to stand up brand new programs that is still going to be a work in progress. So, a couple of things that we want to touch on, of course, is uh, some of the resources that have come out within the last, sorry, let me just get to the next slide. Within the last week, uh, actually last Friday, the White House actually hosted a webinar where they talked about this new guidebook that they released. Uh, you see the image of it on there on the left side of your screen. Uh, this was just a guidebook that they created to talk about the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law or IIJA as, as far as what all is in there. It, it actually, you know, one thing that, you know, we wanna make sure um, that, you know, is, is going to be helpful, especially when resources like this come out, is because a lot of the programs are run out of specific offices within each agency. So, you may, many of you may be familiar with some of these offices already, but just be wary, you know, you're going to see a lot of acronyms being thrown out, which is why I have that alphabet soup is magnified at this point, because you're going to see all the, the different acronyms to these offices under their specific agency. So, just be wary of that, um, you know, that's something that we're going to try to help, uh, you know, provide some clarity on with some of the resources that we're currently working on right now. Um, so, you know, hopefully that'll be a little bit clearer when we put that up there. But step one 
you know, one thing that we kind of looked at and that we recommend is, is actually taking a look at this guidebook. Uh, it literally is a roadmap of what you, you know, what came out in the IIJA. Now, you do have to push past some of the rhetoric. There is going to be some rhetoric in there, but it, it actually is pretty helpful for the most part. And, and you know, what, what, what actually is most helpful, if you haven't reviewed this document, it's about 400 pages, it's actually worth kind of flipping through at this point. Uh, the way they kind of break it down in this guidebook is they talk about the different challenge areas that the IIJA sought to address. So transportation, water, um, you know, climate, uh, any kind of climate issues, uh, the power grid, as well as broadband. So they break it out into those different major topic areas, and then they provide at least the solution or what the, the you know, IIJA was, how the IIJA is proposing to address these challenges. And then they talk, they provide a funding overview within these major topic areas. So really that high level summary of the funding that is included in an IIJA, IIJA and the areas that it covers. Now, again, keep in mind, this was another thing that we touched on in a previous week in Washington. The IIJA does provide, you know, depending on the program, we'll have some guaranteed funding. So there may be some amounts that are guaranteed and that's definitely what's going to come out and roll out through those agencies. And then there is also potentially funding that has to rely on future appropriations, so future congressional acts. So there's going to be a little bit of that, and it does try to break that down. And you'll see more of that, especially on the agency-specific pages. So again, just keep that in mind as you're looking through these programs. The other thing that the guidebook goes into is also list and talks about, you know, what entities that are interested in this funding what you should be doing at this point to get ready, uh, especially if it's a program that, you know, they're, they're going to have some funding available soon or applications are about to go out. Um, what you should be getting ready or what are, who are the contacts that you need to be making at this point. And then it lists what the existing resources are, uh, especially if, again, if there's existing programs, they point you to different pages or fact sheets that help you see if this is a particular area, uh, especially if you're looking to try to address a certain issue, if this might be the program that you need to look into. Um, probably the most helpful thing that actually is included in this guidebook is the program table. Uh, each section goes into a very detailed list of the programs, uh, list each program name, who the responsible agency is, and then the funding amount uh, that the IAJ does provide. And even more so with that, you know, following that program table, uh, they have a section that actually provides program details. And I think this is probably even the most helpful section of this guidebook because it helps to navigate that alphabet soup that I talked about earlier. It'll describe who the primary agency is and then the bureau or the account under which that funding exists and where it's going to operate from. It also talks about in that uh, program detail section, you know, who, who is actually eligible to apply for this funding and then the funding mechanism within which that funding is going to be provided. So is it going to be grants or is it a formula program? So at least you can see, um, you know, what those different, what, what possibilities or opportunities that the programs might offer. And then of course, we've talked a lot about this under ARPA. Um, you know, the program detail section is going to talk about what the eligible uses are. And then it finally closes with any upcoming milestones. So some of these you will see they may have like projected dates of when applications for funding might open up or even whatever their next milestone is, like even if um, they, they just don't have anything yet and when they're expecting to have some applications or more program information. 
Now, what we do know, at least um, what the White House has indicated, is given that this was one, you know, kind of catch-all document, they will be, this is actually kind of a work in progress for them. So they will continue to update this, um, and they will make sure that any time there, there are new announcements from the agencies with respect to those specific programs, they're going to update this document so everyone has the same information. Uh, one caveat, though, is, is, of course, this is not a replacement for the official program documents, which is, which is what you will get from or what you'll find through the agencies, and I'll get to that in a moment. But again, this is not a replacement because there's, you know, as, as we see with ARPA and as Emily spent a lot of time talking about, you know, what uh, all the details and, and all the eligible uses restrictions, things like that, um, that's what the, the agencies are currently working on right now, especially with these new programs. So. What, am I, what do I mean by these agency-specific pages? Actually, there are a few who have really done a pretty good job so far as far as putting up a, a page that's dedicated to the bipartisan infrastructure law. So as you see, they're referring to it as the BIL. Um, on that top left corner, you'll see that that's actually the Federal Highway Administration. They've actually put up a page that talks about all the different types of assistance and support and, and contact information that you can reach out to depending on your entity type. So, of course, if you're a local agency or a metropolitan uh, planning or organization. Um, the lower right, that's EPA. They put together their infrastructure page or their BIL page. That also talks about the different opportunities uh, that are available under EPA. And these will also... In addition to the fact sheets, they will provide links to like their grants pages where some of the, the grant funding will be available and where you can find the different announcements and program information in particular. So again, I, I mentioned you know funding for exi existing programs are gonna, are gonna be going out faster. And of course, the information uh, on these existing programs are already gonna be out there. So if you're already familiar with them, that's of course gonna be helpful, but You'll see that, and, and you'll you'll see that in the agency pages, but you'll also see some of their other pages with the new programs, uh, you know, kind of still under construction. So a, a good idea or a good example of that is NTIA. If you remember the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, that was a group that or an agency that we heard from at the winter meeting. Uh, they were, you know, they're in the process now of standing up technically three new programs uh, based on funding that was provided in the IIJA. Uh, they were still, at least at the time of the winter meeting, they were wrapping up their listening sessions and they were still in a current open uh, comment period for a document that they had, you know, had out uh, for the program design and implementation for the funding that they have. So that I believe actually closed last Friday. So, you know, they're gonna go back, look at all the comments that they received in those listening sessions, as well as the comments that they received through that federal registered notice. And then they're gonna start designing and, and, and putting together the documents for those uh, programs. And then so we'll, we'll probably expect to see more information and the programs actually being stood up, probably getting into March and April. Uh, so we'll probably see a little flurry of that, especially now that we're you know, past the holidays and past some of these listening sessions and, and comment periods. So again, we'll we'll be on the lookout for that, you know, come March or April. So what we're trying to do as far as a member resource at GFOA, we're actually going to create a web page. Well, we're working on a web page right now. This is a shell of it. This is not published and not live yet. Uh, but this is a website that we're going to put together or that we are working together, uh, working to put together that is going to have some of the things that I pointed out today. So things like the guidebook. 
uh, we're going to you know, break it down by the different topic areas and especially the topic areas that we hear most about from you all. Um, and so, you know, the goal, of course, is to try to keep it up to date as much as possible. So anytime that we hear any, you know, notice of funding opportunities, like any NOFO is being published, you know, we'll try to put that up there in the table, plus the links to go to that, you know, specific, specific application page. Um, but keep in mind, just like that guidebook, once, even once this is published and we're looking to have this go live within the next few days, it will be a continuing work in progress because, all the agencies are still working on, on their, you know, respective documentation. Um, but, you know, certainly would love to have any feedback you all have, especially if there's things that you think would be most helpful for you all. For us to post on this, uh, just so, you know, we, of course, try to keep you up to date with the most recent information. So just another resource we're hoping to provide GFOA members, much like what we tried to do with ARPA, the CARES Act, and, and the previous COVID relief legislation. So speaking of another resource, uh, I'm actually going to about to turn it over to Michael Thomas as he hosted a webinar today on a, a related matter to IIJA and water issues. So, Michael, take it away. Thank you, Mr. Brotherman. I apologize for the lack of camera. I'm being told by my intrepid leader that I'm having Wi-Fi issues. So we're going to go camera off and we're going to just enjoy these wonderful slides. I apologize if you were uh, attending the uh, uh, presentation that, that Mike had just referenced that I was uh, going over. But uh, here's sort of the meat and potatoes of, of what we were talking about. Of course, water infrastructure investment uh, is an enormously important topic uh, over the past five to 10 years, issue that has had increasingly uh, more attention, more volume from Capitol Hill. And really over the past three to five years, it seems like uh, the uh, uh, attention has really been drawn to itself. The IIJA produced about $82 billion worth of funding to go towards water resources and, and water services, water infrastructure uh, in many different forms. Now, the, the lion's share of it that state and local governments are going to have access to, or are at least going to be exposed to, is going to be the funding that comes out of the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, let's lower it down a, a, another magnifying glass here. It's not just uh, EPA's random grant programs. Very specifically, the federal government has decided uh, to use state revolving funds as the main avenue for uh, drinking water and clean water uh, investment funding from the federal government. So what does that mean? Uh, that means that every state, if you guys did not already know this, uh, has a couple of state revolving funds, one for clean water, one for drinking water. Uh, what the IIJ has done is that it has bolstered the funding for the normal size capitalization grants that the federal government gives every state to help offer these low interest loans. Uh, but they've also made new subcategories to help tackle specific issues. Uh, the crown jewel of these issues and of uh, the funding made available, lead service line replacement. Uh, that is a $15 billion endeavor. Uh, all of these funds over five years. Uh, the presentation today was really meant to sort of give everybody a heads up that we are sort of in the, the white hot thick of the federal departments actually starting to stand up these programs and to get this money moving. You can go to epa.org or gov and find the estimated allotment to your state because not all the money has really gone out, been confirmed and, and all that stuff just yet. But what you need to know is that the uh, the funding that is being provided is greater than the normal capitalization funding that the federal grants uh, usually provide. And that they've kind of changed the qualifiers for how the money is accessed and how it's used 
the important stuff to remember is for virtually all of these outside of the smaller ones you see at the bottom there we've got ones for specific issues PFAS, uh, emerging contaminants underserved communities um, under certain acts of the federal government whether it be the water patrol control act or the safe drinking water act the larger ones where we've got roughly 40 billion dollars going into uh, it's it's a little bit uniform you can see at the top uh, state match reduced to 10% for both the clean water and drinking water SRFs. And then that third one down from the uh, the top of the uh, thick line bullet is the drinking water capitalization grants for those lead service line replacements uh, that has no state match requirement. And all three of them are split in half, 4951, 49 going towards straight grants and principal forgiveness loans. And then 51% as those very popular standardized a low interest loans that that federal funding uh, makes possible for those uh, state revolving funds. Very important that, and I said this a bajillion times uh, on the presentation this morning, that what what I really want you to take away from this is if you don't have a cozy relationship with your state EPA administrator or somebody who works in that department for water services or environmental affairs, go ahead and do that for me. If you want to have any access to this stuff ahead of the normal deluge of people uh, that will apply to all these loans once the NOFOs and the notifications go out. Uh, so, again, make friends with your state level EPA administrators, send them some flowers, maybe some chocolate. It is Valentine's Day. That way, uh, in two or three weeks, when the EPA starts dropping information like a ton of bricks from a uh, well, just like a ton of bricks, you guys will have a running head start. You'll have someone who is thinking about you uh, and, and, you know, the best case scenario is that when many of these smaller um, kind of minute grants come out, that your issue is on someone else's mind uh, so that they're able to, to, to make a working relationship that much more effective. That is what so much of our job here, working with the federal government and relating information to you guys is all about, kind of making your issues sticky to someone else's brain. Uh, next slide, please. So the rest of the money, I said 82 billion, didn't I? Well, the 55 uh, is, is really what you need to be worried about with the EPA. Uh, that money is what's supposed to be the largest, most significant investment in water services, resources, and infrastructure in American history. Uh, and then that's where your attention uh, needs to go if you're looking for lead line replacement, um, wastewater projects, uh, water services works projects, treatment works, all that stuff move your attention to those SRFs. But to uh, sort of tie up the knot here, 8.3 billion will go to the Department of Interior's Bureau, Bureau of Reclamation. I will tell you that probably half of the Bureau of Reclamation, 8.3 billion is going towards those Western water issues. If you are not a citizen of the great Western United States, you may not know that there is a 30 year drought going on and all sorts of water issues. Uh, so this is that stuff that's already kind of built in for specific locations, uh, most of which are going to be out west. And then, of course, there is the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, to my knowledge, I don't really know that any of that money becomes hugely available directly through application to state and local governments. Pretty sure that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers just has a giant backlog of federal waters uh, matters to attend to, whether they be uh, inland waters, uh, harbors, dredging, I know, uh, portways uh, is, 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 a, is a huge expense and, uh, and part of their job. But just to show you, uh, this is where the rest of the money uh, is going. Uh, next slide, please. 
Okay. So I, I really, really harped on this on that presentation uh, because I, I know that uh, there, there are people who just aren't that exposed to state revolving funds and they, or they may have one kind of locked in idea for what they are and the kind of services that they provide. Uh, so, I mean, it could quite possibly be every one of you that all the information on this slide here is, uh, yeah, of course, Michael, I know. Uh, but again, I, I'm driving home that point that you need to get cozy with your state contact if you want to try to get ahead uh, with anything that's um, anything you want to get done project-wise for your, your water infrastructure. I wanted to put all of these different eligible projects and the kinds of projects to sort of imprint on your brain a little bit here. Like, all right, I know that I have a consolidation storage or distribution project. All right, that's drinking water. Uh, okay, I have a conservation stormwater non-point source project. Okay, that's clean water. Uh, all the useful information, if you're going to really focus on something, that $15 billion sort of extra uh, funding to the state revolving funds that's specifically for lead uh, line replacement or lead pipe replacement, I should say, that is going to be falling under the drinking water SRF. So if you have uh, lead pipe replacements that you've been trying to get done, not clean water SRF, it's going to be drinking water SRF. I say this, I say all of uh, with, with the assumption that everyone understands we're still about three to four weeks away from the EPA providing more guidelines, more specific information to these programs to get them stood up. Um, I believe that our, our sources within the EPA, the people that we talk to, I have been told late this month uh, or early March, which makes me think late March or early April uh, for the EPA to provide some of this guidance. Now, uh, I had a few other slides during that presentation that kind of talked about the, the uh, piecemeal programs, the smaller chunks of money uh, that were going to be made available. There are going to be programs uh, that cover underserved communities or low-income uh, communities, programs that are specific for water projects like desalination, recycling, reuse. All of this stuff is going to be flowing to the top of EPA.gov's website and their, and their news cycle here in the coming weeks and, and months. I implore you, uh, if, if rural community water works is something that you have concern over or have needs over, keep your ear to the ground with EPA. And uh, as I did during the middle of the presentation earlier today, uh, I will plug the landing page that Mr. Bellarmino had just mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, there is going to be a water infrastructure section to that, along with every other in, uh, section required for implementation of funding from IIJA. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to get a, a newsletter out uh, notifying the world that that is ready, and certainly it'll be on the front page of the GFOA website. But I think that that landing page is going to end up being uh, ground zero for a lot of the resource links that you guys would find useful for actually getting into stuff uh, once we start having to put in applications. Uh, so keep your ears to the ground. Um, but yeah, that, that is the, uh, uh, the meat and potatoes of what I have for my presentation today, unless I'm forgetting a, a last slide. No, that's it. So I'm bouncing <laughs> no, it back I, to Mr. Bellamino or, or Ms. Ms. Yeah. Brock. Well, thank you, Michael. And, and like I mentioned, this is just an example of some of the things that we're trying to, of course, uh, put together as far as resources go. So that was a webinar that um, really focused on some of the water issues in IAJA. So what is next? A um, little bit of tongue in cheek here, of course, but can't resist, you know, I can't resist a good cartoon. Um, 
you know, we're, it's 2022, it's a new year. It's not exactly new Congress, but, you know, the, the, the rest of it still applies. We can't continue to simply kick the can down the road, but we're actually just going to punt it instead. And I say that because, of course, the big thing or a couple of the big things that are on the horizon that we're watching right now, one is the funding. As you all recall, at the end of the year last year, uh, they uh, Congress passed a continuing resolution that carried us into February 18th. So that's just a few days away. So knowing, of course, that they were quickly coming up on another funding deadline, are we going to have a shutdown? All that kind of discussion started coming up again. We're not going to have a shutdown. I don't think, we, at least many of us don't think that we'll, we'll see anywhere us getting anywhere close to, to a shutdown. But this week, the House did pass another three-week extension uh, of federal funding to get us into March. The Senate is expected to take that up early next week, so well in advance of the February 18th deadline. So no shutdown will be imminent next week. Uh, but the idea behind this three-week extension is that it's going to buy more time to actually get to a, a broader deal of the remaining or, or of the 12, uh, you know, appropriations bills. What we've heard, at least from the Hill, is that there is some oh, excuse me is that the leaders are pretty close to an agreement on funding the remainder of the fiscal year. So, you know, of course, this is important to the administration as well, um, because th some of the funding that would be provided in that remainder of the fiscal funding for, for the rest of this year will help to stand up what the BIL or the IIJA did put together. So that's certainly something that we are watching um, because, oh, oh my gosh, now, Emily, I think <laughs> you're making me cough now. Um, but that's something that we're watching because, of course, we've seen over the in recent weeks, you know, folks like the Secretary of Transportation, Buttigieg, did acknowledge that, you know, because they're still on just this kind of like, um, you know, uh, short-term extension kind of approach with the funding, it is making it hard for them to to kind of get some of those programs really up and running that the IIJA uh, are established. So we'll watch that, of course. Um, again, we're not expecting any drama next week. Uh, the Senate will take it up, they'll pass it, and then we expect to see a, uh, you know agreement uh, taken care of as far as the remainder of the fiscal year in early March. But what does that mean for GFOA priorities? Now, unfortunately, of course, you know we were we, we've talked a lot about you know or we we have talked a lot about um, you know advanced funding as well as you know bank qualified some of those meat and potatoes priorities that, that we were really hoping were going to find their way into the infrastructure bill, but ultimately got left out. Uh, so we thought maybe the, the next, you know, chance could have been um, to build back better, of course. Uh, but, you know, once Congress takes care of the appropriations work, there was some question whether they'll be able to get to build back better or if is it going to actually be build back never. Um, so right now, the way it looks, because there was that failed attempt, of course, you recall, uh, leading up to the holidays, there was kind of a stalemate between um, basically uh, congressional leaders with folks with Senators uh, Manchin and Cinema to try to get to some agreement, some sort of package that, that they could vote on that would actually, you know, push forward this, you know, broad spending bill that the, that uh, President Biden really wanted to try to really wanted to try to get accomplished. So. Um, it doesn't sound like that that's going to be a reality anytime soon. And so I joked, and some people have joked that it is build back never now, because there also was some discussion of maybe breaking it up into chunks and then trying to move those chunks. But even now, that doesn't seem to be, you know, any closer to any kind of reality. You throw into this mix, of course, uh, a Supreme Court vacancy now that the Senate can focus on, which seems to be a little more gettable 
uh, for them as far as what they can take action on. And then, you know, I know that was just breaking news. Of course, everyone's watching or, you know, what could happen with the whole Russia-Ukraine situation because there may be sanctions coming down the pipe there. And so a lot of other things are kind of starting to fill up and take up the oxygen in the room. I say all this to say that at this point, there's not going to be a build back better, but I say that it is, you know, February 11th, 2022 at 3.44 p.m. As of now, it doesn't seem like um, we'll see a build back better, which of course makes it tougher for four priorities that GFOA has been pushing for, like advanced refunding and DQ. But really all that means is we just got to see if there's going to be another vehicle that makes itself available before the end of this year. So of course, as you know, this is the second session of this Congress. So um, there could be some opportunities to get, uh, you know, those provisions on another vehicle. We just need to find the right one. So, of course, that also means that we could still use your help uh, reaching out to your members of Congress uh, if you can and just, you know, continuing to, to, to share that message of the importance of, of things like advanced refunding and BQ, because, of course, we're talking about infrastructure. We're talking about investing in, you know, uh, improving and building new infrastructure. Um, well, those are definitely some of the tools that, that we know we keep harping on to both uh, members of Congress and the administration. So we can certainly keep using your help on that. So with that, I will turn it over to Emily to help us land this plane. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Mike. So I have a question um, that came in from Natalie Cohen. Thank you, Natalie. Hey, good to see you. Um, and I think it's a really good question about sort of separating all of the big things that are floating around right now. Mike, you, um, you talked about the continuing resolution and, and kicking the can, and now we're looking at March 11th. But what about the spending bill that that actually brings to reality all of the infrastructure spending that's in the BIL? When are we going to see something like that pass? Is that going to go at about the same time as March 11th? Is that worth thinking? But just want to put that one out to, to the mics. Yeah, so that's actually what the whole idea of getting just the three weeks Apparently, there wasn't enough time. I, I think I think because the House has a break, so there was definitely a break in their legislative calendar. Um, so that bigger spending bill is is currently, at least from what we've seen and from the latest reports, leaders are close. Leaders on both sides of the, of the aisle are close to an agreement on spending levels. So um, it sounds like that you know they're just buying themselves the three weeks because there's no way both chambers could have taken. Um, uh, could have taken all of those up before the February 18th uh, expiration of the current continuing resolution. So, short answer is yes. That is probably what is what we'll see once we get into March, and, and they, you know, aim to take care of all that fairly quickly once uh, both chambers are back in. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. And one more follow-up question for Michael Thomas, although I got this private message. Um, so the question is, when you, um, in some of the so, um, more uh, broadband addressed projects in the bipartisan infrastructure law, allow for ARPA proceeds to be used as the non-federal match for federal programs. Do you anticipate ARPA proceeds being an eligible non-federal match for the water programs, in particular because water eligibility is one of those key criteria that was written into the law. Um, if not, if you don't sort of suspect that will be the case, I think it'd probably be good to know that that's definitely not uh, an eligible use. I do expect that uh, to be the case. 
that wouldn't be the first time that, uh, especially with the legislation that's come out since the pandemic, where it's emergency or you know it's aid relief, uh, that usually ends up getting slid in under the underneath the door along with everything else uh, that they they have that flexibility. Uh, you know, you can always be wrong, uh, but the the attitude with the federal government and this administration, specifically with water infrastructure, has been, you know, please take our money, please please take our money. Uh, so I'm I'm. Uh, hopeful that yes, uh, that we'll get the, uh, the the positive outcome of of that situation as opposed to uh, having to put, put the screws elsewhere for the funding. Yeah, it'd be really good to see some efficiencies between ARPA and the bipartisan infrastructure law. And thank you, Thomas, for your insight. We'll continue to press on transit as well as the EPA to allow for the ARPA proceeds as eligible uses for the non-federal match for these federal programs. So um, not saying it's gonna happen. We, we, we're, we're, we're still trying to make sure we're participating in the input sessions, providing input on behalf of GFOA members. And so any information that you have that you'd like for us to communicate back to our federal friends, um, we, we stand ready and absolutely happy to assist. Um, and also thank you in advance for your outreach, as Michael Bellarmino suggested, to your congressional delegation to urge passage um, and full funding for um, all of these new great programs that we may be eligible for. So thanks again for your time. Um, look forward to catching up with you again in the next couple of weeks. Hope you have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.